I assume I can call you Morgan and David, or would you like... Please do. That'd be perfect. Welcome. Thank you for giving me some of your time. Of course. Happy to be here. I am here with David, director, and Morgan, executive producer, and do you have any other titles in in this film? And Hunter, the film? (laughs) I think that'll work. Okay. Getting ready to... We all wore many, many hats. <laughs> As every independent filmmaker does, I I just noticed uh, Liz had told me that Jason, Jason. Uh, was an executive producer, but then I noticed in the credits it's the same name as one of the writers. He definitely uh, wrote the line share of uh, the script. He's he's the writer of Note, and um, he kind of uh, he was the person that came up with the initial idea for the project way back in 2011. Um, and then he and I started working on the project together shortly after we started writing it. And then shortly after that, we brought David on board and developed the script to the point that it could be put together uh, for a reasonable, uh, reasonable budget, um, but maintaining the artistic integrity of what we wanted to achieve. And I guess we should, for those of you, I'm, I'm going to make sure that this is out before the film comes out on iTunes and Amazon Prime and where else? Are those the two main ones? Uh, iTunes and Amazon, not Amazon Prime. Oh, you have to rent sorry. it so you don't okay. get it for free. Um, but I do, there, there's a handful of others. There's a big list somewhere. Yeah, I have a list I can pull up if you give me a moment. Okay, well, on February 12th, if <laughs> I have that correct. Correct, Absolutely. And it has been catching some awards in the film festival circuit. I have here, and apologies if I missed something, uh, Best Horror Feature at the Manhattan Film Fest 2018. Yes. Which was also its premiere. That's where the film premiered uh, in New York at that festival. Best Feature at Freak Show Horror Film Fest. I think all of these will be 2018 since we are barely (laughs) into 2019. So I will... Cut that bit out if no one objects. Best Feature at the Liftoff Sessions. Nominated Best Feature at the Chicago Horror Film Festival, where the film takes place. Right. Uh, Silver Palm Award at the Queen Palm Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And that is all I have. Did I miss something? There's one or two more that have trickled in recently. I have to dig to find them right now. Yeah, Yeah, there's at least a couple other festivals, I think. Cool. But yeah, it's it's been doing really well. I think audiences have been really responding to it, and and uh, uh, and it's really exciting. You know, when when we worked on something for so long to finally get to see it with an audience, which is really amazing. To have the audience react, kind of as you hope they would, or perhaps right. even in new and different ways, to see how uh, impactful the film can be. And you know, we always have. I can't. I can't spoil it now. But after the movie, almost everybody that sees it come, comes up to me and asks me one of one of a few questions, and both of them are great questions to ask. So we're, <laughs> we're very satisfied with um, kind of getting it out there and and getting getting eyes on it. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, people are responding how we hope they would. I mean, there, you know, there's a, a few things that, where they you know they laugh at something that I didn't know was funny or uh, in a good way because <laughs> there's never <laughs> a bad way of that. Um, or or get more freaked out by something that, that never freaked me out or whatever. And that's that's really cool. It's really cool to see how audience, you know, it's a living, breathing thing now. You know, we life of its own. Yeah, you get to get 
you know, it's, it's, it's like with uh, like a painting or something like that. You know, everybody's got their own little interpretations and sometimes it varies from the creators. But usually you guys are all fine with that as long as people aren't dicks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Um, look, uh, you know, you can't control how somebody else watches your film, but, you, you know, you ho- hopefully they're entertained by it. Hopefully, it, you know, it's something that they they enjoy. <laughs> Well, and you can control the story and the yeah. symbolism and all these different things as much as you like. But at the end of the day, you have to let go and let someone else watch it. And it's always, always interesting to see what people who have never seen this material and haven't spent years with it focus on and key on and notice and find intriguing and compelling that you didn't even really think about throughout the entire production or that you spent hours and hours, you know honing and getting just right so that it feels the way you want it to and uh as i was saying i think before you got on david but i try not to do any spoilery questions okay um (laughs) but uh, so basically the film is about hunter a modern day man in chicago right and uh, what what would be your back of the box for this, for somebody that you want to rent it on Amazon or get on iTunes? Well, I, 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 can, I can read you the log line. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, uh, which is, haunted by demons real and imagined, a young homeless man grapples with the brutal cold of a Chicago winter and the brutal truth of the supernatural figures that slaughter his family to rise above being the victim and become the hunter. I'm actually pretty sure that is on the back of the DVD box <laughs> in some in some form or like variation. It's, you don't want to be the one that gives away the, 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 too much of the plot when you're sitting here talking to the director and the producer. <laughs> well, there, well, there are definitely things that could spoil it, but you know. <laughs> it, 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 you know, things like mentioning the the MMA fighting or something, you know, like I figure if it's in the first five minutes of the film that you can't, safe. That, you know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and that and Safety. that was, <laughs> and yeah, it just brings you right in at the very beginning, and you sort of get start to get a feeling, very warm colors. I feel like in that, and then right. it's, you get into the. I've been in Chicago in the winter, oh, and yeah. I've I've felt that with what was on the screen. Well, and you know, actually, this winter, um, it, uh, as someone in Chicago at the moment, um, you know, th- this winter, in fact, la- the last week or so has been very much like it was when we shot. We, we shot during the polar vortex. And, um, and, you know, the cold that you're feeling in the audience is the cold that we were feeling when we shot. It, it was, <laughs> yeah, OG polar vortex. It was brutally cold. You know, we were, we were shooting... Um, on the bridge, for example, over the Chicago River. Um, and it was, I think with the wind chill, it was what, like minus 30 or something crazy? It was minus 20, minus 30, something like that. Um, There's another scene going. where we were on an at, in an alley all night and there was five inches of ice underneath the snow. We were oh, trying to shoot out there all night. Yeah, that was, the, that was the night that the camera got driven over. And oh, I, man. I uh, smacked my knee in the black ice. But uh, other yeah. than that. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if there were any bad or serendipitous uh, equipment changes with that sort of inclement weather. 
Well, you know, we had two cameras and the small one couldn't take the cold. Like it just kept shutting off. Like it would kill the batteries. And then the camera itself kept shutting down. Like I'd had, we'd have to put it inside the car and get it to warm up and then bring it out to do the shot and then put it back in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, there was no amount of batteries that could have kept us sane, oh, man. Um, <laughs> when it go, when it would go down in negative 15 or negative 20 at night before the windshield batteries just don't. Oh yeah, hold their charge. Nothing Just don't at all. And you know, we've we had two production vans, countless other pieces of equipment failing us over the course of the production. You know, fighting the weather to that degree uh, yeah. is something I never want to have to do again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the joke we kept making was, uh, "We're going to make the sequel in Tahiti." I mean, it looked awesome. I, I, you know, I think the cold and the snow and the wind and all of these things give it a really unique look. Um, but man, it was hard to shoot. In. Yeah, we we paid a price for our added production value on that. You know, we <laughs> the snow shots and the uh, the wind and all, all those things are elements we could never have achieved how we tried to do this in a stage. But um, you know, braving the elements has benefits to be certain. <laughs> it it feels great and it feels very present. <laughs> It, you, you know, and you find out exactly how good your code is and things. You know, like I had these <laughs> that they were high, you know, like you order them on Amazon or whatever. And like, oh, good. That mine is 70. I'm like, no, lie. Uh, Just full of lies. There's no actually good that low, especially when the wind starts blowing or you're like, I'm going to kneel down. And, and you're just standing in the snow for like 12 hours. It's just not. Yeah, it's. We were lucky nobody lost a finger. There was a couple of nights there that I was really worried somebody was going to get frostbite. Nobody did, but hey, it was rough. As the executive producer, uh, I'm very glad they did not either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't tell me about that until right now. <laughs> well, you know, we, we always tried to have cars running or... You know, when we could, we had heaters and stuff, but, yeah. you know, a tiny little heater, it, I mean, do you remember the night we were in that one alley and we tried to have a little tent with a heater in it and it just did nothing. I mean, you just, you just yeah. fight that kind of cold. You couldn't even really light the heater, man. You know how a heater is supposed to glow orange? Like this one just wouldn't glow. It would just be like, no, I'm just wasting fuel. Yeah. And so that, that was a challenge. I think. Um, another big challenge was scheduling. We had a lot of production forces from a lot of different places. Um, and not to not myself, not the least of which traveling in from LA to Chicago for all the shoot days. So that was a huge undertaking. Um, and just in general, uh, given the budget and, you know, the goal, the creative goal being such a, lofty one uh i think we always set ourselves up to have a pretty tough production but uh, at the end of the day we really did find some people who invested more than they had uh, any expectation to do in the film and really came out with something special oh the, yeah the cast and crew was amazing we, i mean we couldn't have done it without so many people working i mean incredibly hard on this project i can't even you know i, I can't even imagine doing it without all of the people that did it it's incredible we shot the, the beginning part of production, we shot three-day weekends in January and February and the beginning of March because I, I was teaching. And so, I, I, you know, I couldn't get off during the week, which had its good parts and bad parts. The good part was we could keep, you know, doing prep and getting ready during the week. The bad part was it just sort of never ended in some ways. You know, we started shooting in January and then we shot weekends 
January into February into March, and then we shot all of my spring break. So and sort of and that's where we finished. That's where we got through principal photography. On April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any uh, other any any pranks on Rap Day uh, out out of the ordinary or just the usual? Probably rap? just people feigning sleep. If anything else, I imagine by that um, point. Lost it. The, the the last night was an overnight shoot, and that's when we shot all of the MMA stuff, all the the stuff in the. Um, uh, it, it, opening. The, the opening fight scenes in, in the cage in the locker room and all that stuff so we were exhausted i mean that was a big shooting night we shot three f- separate fight scenes and this whole dialogue scene in the locker room and it you know but by the time we were done i think we were all pretty beat um but it, i mean it looks it came out great i mean you know yeah, you could probably use that exhaustion for the, the post-fight sort of mood <laughs> right yeah I'll say that again. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of, I feel like this movie plays a little bit with PTSD and and not necessarily plays with, but explores, I guess. Right. Yeah, absolutely. PTSD and homelessness and, you know, did that just organically work through or was that something that was specifically strived to, to work in? Well, you know, I think that came about a a few different ways. I know that um, when we were working on and developing the script, that was one of the conversations um, that came out pretty early as far as, um, (laughs) as as far as, you know, thinking about ways to sort of explore Hunter's story and then um, him suffering through PTSD and, and him dealing with flashbacks and all of these other things as a story both in terms of exploring his psychology and also as a storytelling device um you know that that came that came in as an idea very early and then um at both when we shot and then in post-production as we were editing it it really expanded and grew and we i think really discovered over time how to properly visualize it i mean we there there was always the intention that there was gonna we were gonna really play with the form and how to visualize it but um a lot of that sort of emerged out of the editing process. Was that when, uh, was there always, I, I also saw in the credits that there was a psychiatric consultant or psychiatrist consultant. Oh, was that was my sister. My, yeah, my sister, my sister's a psychiatrist. And, okay. um, and before I went into it, you know, because we have all of this, you know, psychotherapy, um, it, you know, I spent some real time with her just making sure we didn't do anything dumb. We talked about, you know, not just how it runs, but also things like how would Danny dress? You know, if you had somebody who's a therapist working with um, homeless people um, as your patients or your clients, you know, how does somebody like that dress? And then, you know, that starts leading conversations into costume design and all of these things. So. I, uh, I, I, I checked a couple of things. My, my wife's a social worker. Yes. So I was like, oh, is, this, is that sort of how that would, that would go through? She didn't watch it with me. We don't have a lot of time to watch movies together. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, uh, she, you know, people sharing stories about, you know, go to this shelter, go to that shelter, mm-hmm. thing, things to that effect. She, she found to be realistic. Nice. That's great to hear. Was it always written to take place in Chicago or was, was that more of a choice that came later? I think it was always written to sit to be in Chicago. Yeah. Um, Jason was living in Chicago at the time. Um, Morgan used to live in Chicago, but he, you know, he's been in LA for a while now. 
um, Jason's in New York now, but he was in uh, living in Chicago the whole time that we were shooting it and most of post-production and things. And um, yeah, I think it was all, that was always the design. And, and, you know, Chicago is such a character in this film and very much by design, you know, it's, it's a story of a person who lives sort of underneath Chicago, you know, both underneath the tall buildings, but underneath the L and in Lower Wacker, you know, which is literally, you know, these catacombs underneath downtown. And, um, you know, and the weather, the weather incentivizes so much of the movie as well. You know, I got to find food. I got to get warm. Things like that may, may not be as challenging in other urban environments than, you know, when compared to Chicago in the winter. Um, it's it's brutal and that you know definitely pushes Hunter to do things at certain points in the movie um, just like the, the kind of uh, PTSD trauma reaction um, you know kind of unreliable narrator aspect really drives Hunter forward to you know explore what's going on with him and what's going on in his head and how he can move through it or past it or deal with it in some way so that he can try to find some closure sometime. I can't really explain how I got this feeling, but I don't know if either of you have ever read the Neil Gaiman book, Neverwhere. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It was originally oh. a BBC limited oh, series. It was, written, it was written for TV first, and then he adapted it into the novel. I don't want to take you off on a tangent, but is that what happened with Hitchhiker's Guide or was that written as a book first that, and then adapted? No, that's the same thing, but that was for radio. That okay. was BBC radio and then adapted into a book and never wears the same way, but for TV. Yeah, I, I, I like the, the, the exploration of the larger worlds of the ignored. Oh, yeah. You get it in both. You get it in Hunter and, you know, the homeless, but you also get it in the sort of the yuppie vampire nest. Mm. You know, it's it's things that people aren't necessarily paying attention to. I hope that wasn't. Yeah, that doesn't give away too much. I don't think. But if it does, I'll cut that out. <laughs> that depends on who you ask. Um... <laughs> um, no, I, look, I think that's true. I think anytime you're in a bigger city, it's easier to get away with things. And and you know, if you look at what they're, you know, who are they targeting? You know, the, the bad guys in the story are targeting, you know, a homeless woman or, uh, um, you, you know, v various people that hopefully, maybe not in all cases, but in many cases can sort of disappear. And um, and, and, and like the, the film itself points out, Chicago has a very high murder rate. So it's easy to sort of hide in that, you know, if, if you're disappear out here you know, and there. Absolutely. You know, what, what's a few more murders in a place that's already has more murders and the police know how to solve? You know, I, th I think that's part of the hiding in plain sight of it. You said that you got started around 2012. Is that right? Well, that's kind of when we had a draft of the script that we thought was workable and then kind of started the process of finding the right director and finding all of the necessary funding and putting it all together. And um, it's been a journey uh, to be certain, <laughs> but yeah. in, in many ways it, it came together pretty much the only way that it could. And um, I'm very, we're, I think we're all very, very pleased with how it turned out given oh. all of, all of everything. Well, you, you know, the 2000 beginning of 2012 is when I, 
first met you both. You know, I, I met Jason here beginning of 2012. And then over the summer, I was in L.A. Um, producing and directing a television series called Dark Secrets. And that's when I met you, Morgan. And it was yeah. over the summer then that, you know, we decided all to work together. And then, yeah, I mean, that was that was the beginning of a really exciting journey. There were some moments along the way that it, it looked like it was, you know, it was that the end was further away than it looked like it was going to be. Yes, um, but, indeed. And, and there are moments yeah. where, you know, you have to take two steps back and take a different direction. And right. the producing side of it gets very unenjoyable from time to time. But it, it, it's always worth it when you put in the time and effort and energy and really do the things that you have to make the sacrifices you need to to get it done. To have yeah. something complete that you can share and show and that everyone can judge accordingly. Yeah. Exactly. Since it's since it's in the the intro, we know that there's vampires in the story, and I know that throughout their use in literature and film, vampires are often a metaphor for something else. Sometimes are they are they just monsters in your in your story, or are they? I, I can give you my two cents. You might have a slightly different two cents, Morgan. But go for um, it. You, you know, one of the things that they became for me and this is something that i think emerged as we were working on the script and also as we were casting and really putting it together but um uh you, you know I, I always felt like um lee and Bo especially were like douchey frat guys and um <laughs> and, and they they were uh, they were sort of vampires as um, you know, toxic masculinity and rape culture, you know, like it, it was a very specific kind of energy we got off them. And, and, you know, Bo had that kind of, uh, uh, what would you call the, the, the haircut? Neo-Nazi? You know, <laughs> the Richard Spencer or something or the, well, we had a it, was almost, it was almost like wavy Brillo pad or, or this <laughs> kind of, with, with kind of fades on the side. So it was very... <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, completely neo-Nazi, but it was definitely um, heading in that direction. And they were both tall, with long faces and high cheekbones and pretty eyes, and they're both very attractive. And um, I don't know if that was really intentional, but it just kind of ended up when we saw them in the room together. It was just so slimy and oily, and they played off each other really well. That um, it became this element that really helped us develop those characters and develop the characters that they interacted with and uh, really make some decisions about what to portray. I mean, I agree with David. I think that, that I think the, the kind of rape culture maybe uh, definitely became something that we play that were, that was became part of those characters uh, and part of maybe an overall allegory. Um, I, I don't think when we were writing it, there was a specific goal of, let's do this and this is going to represent this and this is going to play out this way. I think, I think it was more something that, um, you know, really as those characters came to life, we were able to instill them with that. And for, for me, I, I didn't really see the vampires as much as, you know, something metaphorical early on. It was more of the organization of kind of vampires of a whole and what's done outside of the public eye uh, or, or when a subgroup has incentives or motivations that are counterproductive to the overall good, how does that organization operate and what happens 
when they become discovered and, and, you know, the themes and morals involved in that kind of interaction um, are as much something that I enjoyed exploring in Hunter as uh, the rape culture allegory. You, you know, I, I would say the, the point at which we really nailed this take, I mean, it, it continued to evolve over time, I think, but really it was in casting. That, that mm-hmm. I feel like we went into the casting process thinking the characters were one thing, and we saw both Lee and Bo. And and do you remember that conversation where we had like a two and a half hour long conversation trying to decide if we wanted Lee or Bo for this one character? I and then we saying we want both of them and we want to rewrite the other character. Um, and 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 it's one of the only times I've ever sort of done that where where we we rewrite a character because we hadn't it was the only way that we could make the actors work you know that we had these two brilliant actors each of which brought something very different to the table and we wanted both of them so so we it it meant that we sort of rejiggered those characters a little bit and and i think it it turned out great i really buy them as a team you know like i uh, i understand sort of the relationship between these two characters in a way that I think is really different and interesting. I can see them being roommates. Yeah, absolutely. Luke, that's this sort mm-hmm. of the roommate the roommate they pick on. Third or, third wheel, if you will. Yeah. The, the, um, or I, <laughs> you gotta throw from her. He's the pledge in the frat that you were speaking Yeah, of. Oh, there you go. Absolutely is. <laughs> but Hazen is the worst. <laughs> the probationary member, uh. <laughs> and then the national comes in. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. There's a whole like frat metaphor in the whole thing. Luke, Luke was great. Luke is my favorite character in in the film. To be honest, I think he shows that's certainly the most conflict in a way. Uh, Hunter, I, I love the character Hunter. I think there's a lot of opportunity that Jason took uh, great advantage of to show depth and breadth but especially with you know less screen time i think that the character of luke is so intriguing to me and um you know we see him struggling we see him trying to escape both physically and emotionally we see him painting um you, you know ryan it, so much to that character you know uh, that was a hard role to cast because the character has to simultaneously have a vulnerability and yet also be dangerous. And that so many people would come into audition and were one or the other. They were either all dangerous or all sort of vulnerable, but there, were, there was something in Ryan that you could see why he got recruited, right? They made a mistake, he shouldn't have been recruited, but you could see there's something in him that is dangerous, that is, sort of emotionally removed or whatever in such a way that, that, you know, he, he could go that direction. He just is having, he's just struggling with it. He's almost uh, like they mistook emo for metal or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a little more goth and not enough like, uh, uh, you know, true Norwegian death metal. Yeah, exactly. Not enough Viking, you know, it, it, <laughs> the sensitivity gene was too high, but no, I agree with David. I just, I found that conflict very interesting you know, and he's he's not a villain. He's an antihero. Um, and I just thought Ryan did bring a lot to that role. I thought he made that character very interesting and an uh, interesting foil for our lovely protagonist. The other thing, too, is uh, an awful lot of that stuff was his own. Like, all the, the art 
was Ryan's actual art, and he was riding his actual bicycle. Like I, I'm convinced that Ryan really is Luke. You know, like he <laughs> mm-hmm. he actually sent me uh, one of the paintings from the film, and I have it hanging in my wall. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I, I I I like when uh, people get to take over their characters a little bit, and they have that that leeway to flesh them out. No, definitely. It's, it's, it's... There's something of the person that you're trying to cast that speaks to the nature of the character in your mind or that, you know, resonates to the point that in the room you're like, oh, no, it's perfect. I can't live without it. Then, you know, those instincts can definitely be valuable to listen to. And I think in Ryan's case, you know, he's got this sense of, oh, I don't even know, sadness or despair or disdain about his, his effect when he's on screen. And he seems so threatening at times but but never actually is you know when he opens his mouth he seems almost immediately uh not confident (laughs) in many instances so so it's a very striking um dichotomy and and he just did such a wonderful job and i i feel like we we did our best to do that uh especially for a small film like this to, to find people who really brought something unique and special to the roles i think we we said the similar things about um, about Paul and, and Peter, uh, about Lee and Bo, and I, I think we can say the same thing about uh, about Danny, about Rachel. She was um, oh, Rachel's such a star. Oh my god! You know, should just take over a scene, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think uh, Rachel Serda, who has played Danny, is just brilliant. I think she was, uh, uh, you know, yeah, she stole every scene she was in. <laughs> Just amazing. And, and, you know, when she got in the room and, uh, you know, again, going back to auditions, uh, I, I feel like we knew right away with her, you know, mm-hmm. but like there she was, she opened her mouth and like, and we're done. <laughs> and then, and there's Danny. She was just, all, just brilliant and, and a complete pro and, and did such a great job. Mm-hmm. She really did. And got, got very cold repeatedly for us. She was probably the person I felt the worst about asking that person to be cold again and again over the course <laughs> of the production. We have another scene outside on a bridge in the wind. Oh, and it started the sleeting. Which and do you remember that that yeah. shut us down? I know. Like the, the 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 big bridge scene that that's the dialogue scene on we had we shot on the bridge two different nights and um that that one it snowed and, but then we looked at the weather reports and we knew it was going to, or sleeted or whatever it did, and we knew it was going to stop. And we couldn't shoot part of it where it was sl- snowing or sleeting or whatever, and then part of it not, because there would never be any continuity. So we're like, yeah, we had oh, already my- started, so we couldn't keep shooting right. through, the, through the weather, oh. so we had to wait it out. Oh, it was, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily we got a shot, but yeah, the weather just made nothing easy. It made editing that scene really easy, though. <laughs> Do not have a lot of options. Um, yeah, the weather is non-union. Oh, yeah. Kind of thing. Oh, there's nothing you can yeah. do, man. Sometimes you're at its mercy. Yeah. But I had some friends do a short uh, over in England, and mm. they got a sudden snowstorm in the spring, and Oops. they had to dig out and do a whole bunch of fun stuff. Oh, I was at a I was at a shoot in Vancouver just a couple months ago where high winds knocked out power to the entire stage we were shooting on. That was a stressful day. <laughs> <laughs> it's not every day you fly in a generator large enough to run a stage, but <laughs> but now you know how to day. do that. 
We did right. that day. Now we know. <laughs> Just add another tool to the arsenal. And I, you said that, well, you joked about the, the sequel being in, in Tahiti. Um, do you have any up, upcoming projects that you also want to talk about, or do you want to keep the focus on Hunter? I think right now, keeping the focus on Hunter is probably what we're going for. I think, um, you know, Hunter has a lot to offer as a story. It definitely sets itself up point as a sort of sets itself up uh, perhaps as a jumping off point for, um, you know, any number of different potential adventures. Uh, and I think that there's uh, a lot to dig into, a lot to maybe not research, but definitely explore. There's a rich world there that we've worked hard to fill with details and back and, and lore and backstory that, you know, we hope in the near future we do get the chance to uh, show you guys where Hunter's, Hunter's journey goes. Uh, and I, I feel confident telling you, uh, you know, given that opportunity that uh, while, while I don't think it's going to be Tahiti, it will be somewhere warm. <laughs> He hides out on a on a ship to bound for Hawaii. Mm. <laughs> it's the story of his journey on the ship. It's really great. <laughs> <laughs> Cargo hold for eighteen hours. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just joking. He does, that's not the next. That's not no. the next no. plan. <laughs> so anybody can take that that idea. Yeah, that that one's open for for whoever wants to make that epic. Maybe a musical. We don't know. Oh, that would be great. Oh, yeah. Hunter the Musical? That'd be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, if so you could do it for Sweeney Todd, you can do it for Hey, him. I mean, I feel, like, I feel like we have at least more motivation for the murder than Sweeney Todd did. <laughs> I can say although, that on the podcast, right? Although both, both Sweeney Todd and, and Hunter have uh, similar psychological problems. So. This is true. Different coping mechanisms, though. Important. <laughs> Coping and heavy quotation marks. All right. Never know who's better with a blade. Oh, God, that's funny. Different kinds of blades, but yeah, yep. you know. Well, this has been a great conversation, I think. Is there anything you would like to say? Are you guys happy with what we've talked about? Have we missed something? No, I think, I think we've covered a wide range of things. Uh, as you said at the beginning, um, you know, Hunter was just very much a team effort of people who really invested in, in what we asked them to do and took the opportunity to take something that could have been really ordinary and made it pretty special. And I think that um, there's a fun adventure there. There's a little something for everybody. We don't pull any punches. And I think by the end, if, if you're, you know, just a little bit attentive, then you're going to have a really good time. It's a really good ride. Uh, and as, as you mentioned at the top, it's available on uh, February 12th. Um, we're on iTunes, Amazon Video, Google Play, PlayStation Video, Microsoft Xbox, in-demand movies for Spectrum or Comcast. We're on Fandango, Redbox, and you can even buy our DVDs in Walmart towards the end of the month. The website is Hunter Film Chicago. So you can yeah, see our right. trailer. You can, find play, you can find links to rent the movie as soon as it's available. Um, Get check on the mailing out. list. Yeah, you got our social media up there too. We're very active. If you reach out to us, we'll definitely get back to you. So, so February twelfth, go and watch it everywhere. Um, everywhere. Uh, buy it several times. We won't stop you. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, have a have a have a watch party and make everyone that comes by comes in the door buy it. <laughs> buy copies of the DVD and give them out to all of your friends and even people exactly. you don't know. Yep, Valentine's Day like, is right around the corner. Oh, absolutely, and it is. There's nothing sweeter on a Valentine's Day. Uh, Just remember, there's a big, very significant romantic story in this movie. There is. Excellent couples movie for Valentine's Day. <laughs> I, I say that completely seriously. Do not laugh at me. Oh, sure, sure, this sure. is truth. No, it is. It, it, it just, it's, a, it's a thriller, but there absolutely is a, a romantic story at the heart of it. Very much at the heart of it. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, have us here for just uh, – a little while to talk about the film and celebrate getting it out to have all the public's eyes on it finally. We're really excited about it. Thank you for your time in the time in making it and the time in talking to me. Um, it, it's hmm. been it's been great talking to you fellows and I look forward to seeing more from you in the future. All right. Thank uh, likewise. You so thank you so much, man. Have a great night. Thank you. You all too. Right, all right. Thanks. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. I'm most strong in darkness, burning blind by the day. Weighs heavy on my heart, but I'm tasting from its harshness. For my spirit shall ascend, this darkness falls upon the earth. An ashen face grew like a white spider. Trade for the nights only to